listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Is straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. And now, here's RJ Bell. You heard it. I'm RJ live on a Tuesday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Tuesday's always a special show. Jonas and I going one-on-one. You know, I'm going to give him a chance because I got to be honest. I gave him a lot of heat because I felt like the expansion of the NFL playoffs maybe was cheapening things. And I'm not sure I'm wrong, but what I know is a lot of people have seemed to have swung from being skeptics to saying, hey, there's six games this weekend. That sounds good. So I'm going to give him a chance to see where his head's at and and, uh, maybe, you know, kind of push it back on me a little bit because I have been giving him a lot of heat. He is in Los Angeles, and he's the Joe, Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we are just now days away from a busy wildcard weekend in the NFL. Plus, we got some concerns about a national championship game and whether that's going to be played on time in college football. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? I got to think it's the Cleveland Browns and the fact that with the COVID outbreak, that fund fundamentally changes this game at least the odds adjustment says it does yeah and head coach Kevin Stefanski two other members of his coaching staff and two players including Pro Bowl guard Joe Batonio tested positive for COVID-19 none of them will be available this weekend as they play the Pittsburgh Steelers you know this is a good example Jonas of my corollary I don't learn someone's difficult name to pronounce unless they insist upon it meaning that the new <laughs> News is so big, there's no way to avoid it. So I, I was doing a little work today on this one. But if we look, if we look at the Browns-Steelers line, as of 24 hours ago, line was Pittsburgh favored by four points. Now remember, home field advantage is minuscule, small in the NFL this season because of COVID, lack of fans. Thus, this is pretty much saying, let's call it a point. So it was saying Pittsburgh's about three points better. One point for home field, three points. The line was four. Now, in the 24 hours or so since, we're not certain that the COVID outbreak is the only factor, but it obviously is the biggest factor. And the line has gone from four to six. 
So a two-point adjustment. That's a fairly significant adjustment. In fact, the case could be made, and this is true. No player in the NFL, no player other than a quarterback, is worth two points. Aaron Donald, not worth two points. You know, Go through your list. Whoever you think is going to be your favorite receiver, your favorite running back. There's only, you know, less than, a, you know, about a handful worth a point and a half. And then there's maybe 30 worth a point and more worth half a point. You know, Fezzik thinks there's 130 worth half a point. But, that, you know, that's too much. But, okay, it, it's debatable, the whole thing. But think about this. And let me just ask you from the fans' perspective, would you say that any head coach, and let's put Belichick maybe, Andy Reid maybe, in a different category. But other than the great greats, could you imagine a coach in a given game and, and, and I want to take a minute before I ask you, Jonas, to make this distinction. When Saban was out, of, uh, I think originally earlier in the season, there was rumors he had COVID and then the lines moved. And then I think it was the Georgia game that he actually did miss, if I recall. Yeah. And the line moved, you know, significantly. And to me, what I said at the time was I thought it was way too much. And the line did come back to pretty much where it was, even though he missed the game. So I think that was a sign I was probably right. And here was my rationale. What a coach does in the course of a calendar year versus what he does game day. In college, game day's a small percentage of it. There's recruiting, there's culture building, there's team building, all those th- player development, all that still had the Nick Saban stamp on it, right? The Nick Saban influence. Yeah. It was on game day he wouldn't be there. Now in the NFL, obviously game day isn't the entire contribution, but I think it's a bigger percentage. And I would make the case it's a especially big percentage with the Browns. That said, though, whatever percentage you think it is, game day versus other things, does it make sense that a coach is worth more than the best player non-quarterback in the NFL? No, especially a coach making his first ever playoff start or playoff appearance in Kevin Stefanski. That that seems a little bit odd to me. I, I wonder if, because we've seen in the most recent example, and, and this is the only one that I can think of of the NFL this year, is the Lions when they had their COVID outbreak and their head coach was down for the Tampa Bay game in which Tampa Bay blew them out. Maybe some of this is, well, we've seen this once before in the NFL. The Lions got completely manhandled because their head coach was out, but I don't know that you would put the Lions and Browns anywhere in the same stratosphere this season. So maybe that's sort of the justification as to why the line moved as much as it did. Yeah, I think it's mostly name. I think it's the how many players, if you think about it, do people know? I mean, in a, if it's not your favorite team. Yeah. So if it's a casual fan and you say, how many Browns do you know? Right. There's going to be Baker Mayfield. You, you know, they're going to say OBJ, but he's not playing. Jarvis Landry. Somebody I mean, other, yeah. I think Landry, you're getting to the, like a hardcore fan. Right. I mean, I'm not saying hard, hardcore, but I'm saying someone that does more than watch a couple games a month. Yeah. That, you know, you're going to have to watch more, at least a game a week to know Landry, I think. Yeah. So to me, when you got a guy who's looking to be coach of the year or at least in the conversation legitimately, I think it's the name recognition. I also think the following. I think this line might be warranted in this case. 
because when you have a situation where a team has hasn't done something for 15 years, and then the first year the guy comes in and says, "Hold my beer, I'm on it," and he does it, especially with a Baker Mayfield, you could make the case. I think it's valid to at least make the case that he isn't the most mentally tough quarterback we've seen. That it seems like he gets affected by pressure more. He gets affected by circumstances more. Brady, you know, obviously more mature, uh, more of a veteran, but Brady's laser focused. I don't think people think Baker Mayfield laser focused. In a way, he's got a Sherpa, right? In a way, he's got a guy, someone to take his hand and say, come with me. And he's responded to that. But now the mentor is gone. So it feels to me that the main change with the Browns this year was about having an identity, having a culture that everyone bought or most players bought into. And if the originator, the source of that culture is gone, there's going to be kind of like, where's daddy, I think. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think there could be something to that. Um, I, Betonio is a, a bad loss for him, just in the in the stance that multiple time Pro Bowler, second team All Pro. You know, he's really helped, been a stabilizing force of that offensive line. So I think that's going to be a big loss. I also wonder, and I don't even know if this is done, but you've talked about how you know uh, bookies and or how you know Vegas and some of the people that run sports books, you know, they're they're cockroaches. They'll they'll try and take it. <laughs> advantage of you you've talked about how they'll use something and manipulate it to their advantage how much of this was an excuse to maybe move the line this much when really where we should be most concerned is what we saw a week ago in baker mayfield i would argue getting outplayed by mason rudolph at times see but here's the thing the bookies can move the line anywhere they want, whenever they want. And that's legitimately their right. They are cockroaches in many ways. But giving them the right to decide the price, that you know, effectively the spread is the price, right? Yeah. So if someone wants to sell a car for fifty thousand and people think it's worth twenty five, well, you know, in this case you can bet both sides. So in a way, that's why the bookie has to stay in line to some degree, but being in line really means with the rest of the market. Because if you think about it, the the best analogy for bookies when it comes to the other bookies is gas gas stations is you might be in a town with only one gas station and then they're going to do what they do right gouge yeah but in, in general if you're in vegas or most cities or most towns there's going to be a gas station on one corner and a gas station across the street or on another corner if one guy's at three bucks a gallon and the other guy's at four bucks a gallon you know where everyone's going and right. that's the four bucks is irrelevant it's like fantasy so the market is going to now you as a bookie I'm not saying you're a bookie. I mean, maybe that's an aspiration. But but as a bookie, it's a situation where you can take – have an opinion, but that just puts you one notch in a certain direction. So let's say that you love Pittsburgh, that you don't want any Browns action. And the line right now, the market is six. It's very reasonable that you would make it six and a half. And then 
anyone that wants the Browns that has you as an out, you're, they're going to bet the Browns with you. So you're going to get one because no one's going to bet six and a half laying the points if six is everywhere, right? Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why one of our basic tenants is if you want to even think about winning, you've got to have multiple outs. You got to have three outs typically. So. Even if you have three outs, if one guy's at six and a half and the other two are at six, if you like the Browns, you're going to play six and a half with the one. And if you like Pittsburgh, you're going to lay six with one of the other two. Okay. So, but that guy that loves Pittsburgh as a bookie wouldn't have any sense rhyme or reason to make it seven because it's the old saying about the bear, right? I don't have to be faster than the bear. I've got to be faster than you. If, if you have the best line, in a certain direction, you don't need to be better than the best. So, in a way, the bookie gets to skew his line by a half a point if he wants to, and that's when he has an opinion on the game and he wants to be lopsided and get only that action. But in general, the market's going to dictate. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I agree with the following. Straight out of Vegas, I'm R.J. Bell. If bettors were thinking about Pittsburgh, they were ready to bet Pittsburgh, but they were waiting, thinking, is this line going to dip? I want to see this injury report. Whatever was causing them to kind of wait. The minute this news comes out, all of the Pittsburgh demand <laughs> gets bet instantly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one of the – sometimes with these moves, it's a combination of unlocking some demand that was waiting with the fact that the, the, the news itself is worthy of movement. I, in general, I'm a skeptic. When it comes to how much coaches are worth on game, I think coaches are humongous 365 days in aggregate. I think a good coach is, to be candid, if you could give me Belichick at age 40 or, you know, with many years left and pick your player. Who, who do you think is the most valuable player in the NFL that's a non-quarterback? Oh, geez. Um... Devontae so, Adams. All right, let's say that. Okay, is I would take Belichick at you know, or even let's say at age uh, fifty-five. Let's say typically a receiver is going to have ten years. Let's say early in his career left. Let's say Belichick with ten years left, wherever, whenever that would be. I'll take Belichick over Adams. Uh, okay, or actually, now let me think of it. I'll, I'll go Derrick Henry. All right, I'll take Belichick over Derrick Henry, especially because really? Derrick yeah. Henry's not going to have ten years, right? Right. But, but but again, that's an interesting debate. Who the most valuable? If you were yeah. redrafting today, but I don't care because other than the quarterback, I'm taking Belichick, or I'm taking Andy Reid, or I'm taking Sean Payton, or I'm taking, quite frankly, Shanahan, or I'm taking McVay. And I mean, I, I yeah. also think. The play callers would be like I would argue that Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma is a bigger loss on game day for Oklahoma than Nick Saban would be for Alabama because that's Lincoln right. Riley's because the on plays. the day of the game yeah. they're calling the plays. Yeah. Now that brings up an interesting point, and it's a good little quick segue here. So let's take a moment to just wrap up the Browns. So what we're saying here is that the line has moved significantly. Pittsburgh was a four-point favorite. 
upon the news, the line is up to six. We believe typically, typically the coaching on game day is overvalued. I think with Stefanski, ooh, that there's a situation <laughs> I worked up to. There's a situation where him being the mentor, him being the Sherpa in a way, maybe has more value. And I especially think it's going to have value if the Browns get down. Typically in a game, you're going to have a time both teams are going to feel a little desperate at a given point. And I think the odds of the Browns at a certain point being down 10 is pretty decent. I think if he was there, they'd be able to handle it much better. So if you're in-game betting, I think if the Browns are in a, a position where they would need daddy, well, daddy ain't being there is going to be pretty tough. Okay, quickly though, because you bring up a great topic. A lot of coaching speculation. Who's going to get hired? And the new age people are saying, we want offensive coaches. Offense. Offense is the key in the NFL these days. Other people are saying, wait a minute. Because there's so many offensive coaches being selected to get head jobs, there's a a lack of talent there. That pool has been uh, thinned out. And now we've got some great defensive coaches that, that have yet to really get a head coaching chance. Thus, you're getting, let's say, a 9 out of 10 on defense or a 7 out of 10 on offense because the 8s and 9s on offense have already been gobbled up. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I disagree with that. I actually think it's logical, but they're missing one point. The ones that say go defense are missing one point. If you're a great offensive coach and you're not a head coach, you're a coordinator, and let's say Brady with Carolina is an example of that, Joe Brady, is he is going to get a chance at a head job so much younger than you. I mean, he's already like the second favorite to be one of the coaches. The guy's like 33 years old. And thus, if you do hire a defensive head coach, if you get an offensive coordinator that's any good, they'll be gone within two years. So, in a way, if you hire Shanahan, for example, you've got your offensive coordinator effectively for the rest of his tenure. And defensive coordinators are easier to get, great ones. If you hire a defensive guy like Fangio, and now he's got to hire coordinators, if they stink, you can keep them. But if they're any good, they're going to get gobbled up, not to go be an OC somewhere else, but to be a head coach like Brady will be within a year or two, I think, for sure. How does that resonate with you? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, just look at Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's got a defensive-minded head coach in Mike Vrabel. They've got an offensive coordinator who everybody is out to get because of what he's done with Ryan Tannehill and what he's done with Derrick Henry in that offense. So, yeah, that's a perfect example right there. So, even though I think the odds of hitting it with a true A-plus on offense are tougher because that pool is thinned out, I think the payoff is so much bigger because if you get that guy, you've got the offense covered, too, for the rest of his time. And if you get a good DC, you're just going to be go- – that becomes head coach. You're just going to be swapping out. You're either going to have a failure or, or a, uh, an average OC, or once they're good, they're gone. And that's how do you build anything there. I'm R.J. Bell, straight out of Vegas. Speaking of building, you know, let's do a jumbo couple last couple minutes here. We'll do a jumbo first segment. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Dolphins and all this talk. I'm a skeptic, Jonas, when it comes to, oh, so-and-so said he's not cheating on his wife. Or so-and-so says he's not cheating on his taxes. Or so-and-so says our quarterback is our quarterback. It's like, okay, what's the consequence if it's otherwise? And it's like, none. Oh, like a coach saying he's going to stay at the program as he's packing his bags you know, to leave. What's your take on the stuff coming out of Miami. They can say whatever they want, but they're picking <laughs> they're picking high enough in the draft that I think nothing from Tua and nothing from their handling of Tua this year tells me that they 100% believe that he's their guy of the future, that they're 100% certain he's their guy, and they're picking high enough in the draft that if that's the case, this is the year that that's okay to have that that outlook on things because you're going to have your choice of potentially the second-best quarterback in the draft, whether it be Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Zach Wilson. And so this idea that af- right after the season they're going to say that Tua is their guy moving forward, he's their quarterback in 2021 – I get why you're saying it publicly, but I'll believe it when I see it. No, I think that's very sharp. I will, though, I'm kind of shocked in a way at one of the things you said. And it's funny. I, I We'll get into this Peterson you know, aftermath with the Eagles because I was kind of surprised with your take on that one yesterday. Let me ask you this. What about the Dolphins, the way they've handled Tua, shows you that they're not – that they're pessimistic about him because my case would be that when you have Fitzpatrick playing top 12 level quarterback throughout the year, if you look at the stats, he's about the you know 10th, 11th, 12th. I mean, a shockingly good result as a quarterback, especially with all the talk about Ortua and uh, he doesn't have any receivers and, and the scheme is bad. It's like okay, well you know Fitzpatrick's playing with the same skill position players, the playmakers or lack thereof, same scheme, and he's a top 12 quarterback. Quarterback. Tua isn't, isn't even close. The fact that they gave Tua significant starts and significant playing time, even though he was clearly at this point not the better quarterback, and the other quarterback was top 12, or let's even be conservative and say top half of the league, isn't that a sign of a real commitment to him? I think that would have been a sign of a commitment had they not benched him twice in games. Like that, that to me told me everything I needed to know about what their, their feelings on Tua were. I just, it's, it's odd to me. I've never seen anybody do it. It's never, I don't recall it ever happening in the NFL. But, but in a way, see, that's interesting. So you're saying if they would have kept him in, because it feels like to me, it's like, when a, when a dad is teaching a kid to drive and they're in the parking lot and there's a sense of like, okay, let's finally go out on the street. You're ready. Now, the kid's going to drive until the dad has to take over in a way. And and to me, it, you're saying let the kid wreck the car and that's a sign that he really trusts him. I'm saying the fact he's letting him drive in a place he could wreck is a sign of the trust. The fact when things get tough, the dad takes the wheel is just reality. Uh, so, yeah. I, I just, at some point, point he's got to learn to go through this stuff and every quarterback has to deal with it every quarterback has stinkers and and there was an opportunity for him to go through it and for them to try and really find out as he works through this stuff early in his career whether or not he's up to the task and it's either they just don't believe
believe in him or something was seen with him previously that they thought this is not the right move. I just, I don't, I, it's, it's just bizarre handling. And this idea that they made the right decision because they won that game against the Raiders, I totally, I just disagree with. And there's a lot of people throwing that out there. I think that was a large part because of the Raiders undoing on defense. I just, I was not a fan of how they handled it. Unless they just don't believe he's their guy. And if that's the case, then yeah, you make the move. We, we saw Arizona do it with Josh Rosen after one year. So, yeah. Well, listen, anyone that says that Tua, and and, and closing thought on this, there's a lot of people saying, whoa, slow down. All they say is, whoa, slow down. It's like sometimes slowing down is not good. Sometimes you know something. And I'm not saying we know Tua is not going to make it, but what we know is this hasn't been an impressive first year. Agreed. And the idea that it has been, I, as much, you know, like Trent Dilfer was on the herd talking about how he's more impressed today. And to me, I don't, I mean, I've always liked Dilfer as an analyst. I just don't understand that. I don't understand. Uh, The only thing you can have any optimism over is it feels like physically he's fine, which was a big question mark. So now with that removed, it's back to, well, how good was he to start with? And I think that let's be candid Two teams recently that have been very aggressive. And I say recently last seven, eight, 10 years, when it comes to quarterbacks are two teams that in theory really benefited from it. Seattle, when they got Russell Wilson, and they had, you know, they had paid for a free agent, and they said, "Well, we'll do a third-round pick too," and that paid off. And obviously, you just mentioned the Cardinals going a second time in the top ten in two years. But quarterback is that important, and the Jets are going to face that next.